Let's come to Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 1 to 10. And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once con conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath just as the others. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved, and raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Verse 8, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now this is one of, uh, one of the, probably the most well-known passages of scripture, and uh, it's certainly one of my favorite passages. It's, it's very eloquently written by Paul in terms of the subject matter and how he expresses it. Um, and uh, this was, uh, you know, we've been start, we started the study uh, in the book of Ephesians, and uh, Ephesians was written to believers who, who did not seem to have a complete understanding of the spiritual resources that were at their disposal. And so they did not take advantage of them, and this put them in danger of spiritual malnutrition. So we see that Paul begins in chapter 1 by reminding them uh, of all the spiritual blessings that they enjoy in Christ, that they are chosen, that they are loved, that they are predestined, that they are recipients of the grace of God. Uh, they are redeemed, they are heirs with Christ, uh, they are sealed, they are possessors of a guaranteed inheritance, guaranteed by the Holy Spirit. And uh, he then, in, uh, in the latter part of chapter 1, he offers a, a beautiful prayer for them, a prayer that they would fully understand the resources and the power that they have in Christ, and that this understanding would lead them to a more fulfilling life in Christ. And Paul is building up, and in chapter 2 here, he clarifies what it means, what salvation means. He clarifies what they were saved from, how they were saved, and what they were saved to, or what they were saved for. Uh, and, uh, uh, and, and what, what it took for them to become part of the body of Christ, the church. And he describes their past condition and their present condition uh, of a believer in Christ and the miracle that brings about the transformation in the life of a believer. Uh, and that's what we're going to look at. Now the ultimate goal of the book of Ephesians, and it's important we see the, how it's building up towards this point, is, that, is to push believers towards a more godly living. But first, in the first three chapters of the book, he lays the foundation. Because in order to be pushed towards godly living, you've got to understand a few things. Uh, and in chapter uh, 1, he talks about the spiritual blessings that we have in Christ. In chapter 2, he talks about the way in which Christ has transformed, the work of Christ on the cross has transformed the life of the believer. In chapter 3, he talks about the mystery of the church, the place the church has in the economy of God and the plan of God. And then in chapter 4, he starts becoming more practical. He talks about the use of spiritual gifts. How now that you are one who has been blessed by God, one who has been chosen by God, one who has been redeemed by God, one who has been placed in the church, 
How should you go about using the spiritual gifts that God has given you? How should you go about conquering the, 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 the fleshly desires that you have? How should you go about interacting with your fellow believers? How should you, as a husband or a wife or a parent or an employee, how should you behave in those important spheres of your life? How should you, uh, as one who is facing the attacks of the enemy, in chapter 6 he talks about the full armor of God. How should you defend yourself against these attacks? And so, before we get to the practical instructions, though, we need to understand the basics here. And what Paul is doing here is sort of taking them through a boot camp. You know, in the, um, in the U.S. military, they have this thing called a boot camp. I suppose most militaries uh, follow this. It's the, the official term is called basic training. But there's nothing basic about it. It's very tough. It lasts several months. And, uh, and the first thing they do when, they, when, when you come into boot camp is they shave your head off. Not your head, your hair. Okay? <laughs> They keep your head, but they shave your hair. And so this is why you see a lot of military recruits with short, doesn't matter, they might come in with, with dreadlocks and long hair, but the first thing they do is they send you to the barber. And they make everybody look the same. Okay? And the reason they do that is they're going through a process of deprogramming you. Okay? From everything that you have learned. You know, they want you all to look the same. They want to make you change your thinking. And boot camp involves not just physical activity, but it involves discipline. They teach you everything from how you're supposed to address your superiors to, uh, to how, uh, how you're supposed to, you know, shoot a rifle. Everything is contained in that. You have these guys called drill sergeants who, who literally yell at you every day in and day out. They make teach you how to mar march, how to, how to do everything, clean up your barracks. I mean... The whole works, okay? And what they're trying to do is get you, get your mind changed, okay? And about 10 to 15% of people, recruits, drop out of this. They, they can't handle it, okay? After a few months, they drop out. So this is what, you know, when, when Paul in, in Romans uh, chapter 12, he talks about be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You know, this is what he wants us as Christians. We need to go through this sort of boot camp experience and understand who we are. You know, you've been saved, but there's a lot behind that. You know, understand who you are. Who does God see you as? And if you don't understand this, you know, you're just going through the motions. There are many, many people who go through life. They do things because they were brought up that way, because they want to please somebody. You know, that's not what this is about. The Christian life is serious. It's as serious as going into the army. You know, learning to, to defend your country, learning to do all these things. It requires discipline. It requires training. It requires a change in mind. It requires reprogramming of your mind. And so that's why before Paul ever gets to saying how you should live your life, he first wants us to understand who we are. And that's why, you know, our practice needs to be underpinned by doctrine. If the doctrine is not right, the practice will fall apart. So in this passage, he gives us a proper understanding of what salvation truly is. And if we understand and a reminder of our past condition and what are the true effects of salvation in our life uh, and who we really are, then we will have a, 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 a greater appreciation of what God has done for us. And this in turn will lead us to a more righteous living, which is the ultimate goal of why a believer studies the word, is to apply it in our lives and change the way that we act and the way we live. 
So let's look at this. We can break this out into three main, uh, three main uh, areas here, three main uh, points. One is the believer's past condition. Okay, so we'll look at that. We see that in the first three verses of chapter 2. Uh, second of all, the change that happens in the believer's condition. Okay, and we see that in verses 4 and then again in verse 8. And thirdly, the believer's present condition. We see that in verses 5 to 7 and then verse 10 again. So we'll look at these three topics uh, within this, this passage, a very, very rich passage. And I hope I can do justice to it. So let's look at what is the believer's uh, uh, present condition. So we see three things again there. Three points about the believer's present condition. First of all, uh, I'm sorry, his past condition. In the past, you know, a person who is not saved is dead. Okay? Plain and simple, he is dead. You see that in verse 1 and 2. You hath he made alive who were dead in trespass and sin. Secondly, we are controlled or were controlled by the sinful nature. Thirdly, we are objects of the wrath of God. Let me state that again. We were dead. We were controlled by the sinful nature and we were objects of the wrath of God. So let's look at each one of these points. First of all, we are dead. What is death? It's speaking here about spiritual death. So while we were physically, we might have been physically alive, we had a, a beating, a heartbeat, you know, we had no relationship with God. We were dead to God. We were dead to spiritual life. We were dead to truth. In Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death. Okay, spiritual death. And man is born in sin. And so he is born to death. Okay, so this is the condition of every human being, is that we are dead. Okay, ever since the fall, man has been dead in, in terms of his relation to God. And a dead person, we know a dead body cannot respond to any stimulus. You can touch the dead body, you won't get any movement. A dead body has no capacity to respond. A spiritually dead person has no capacity in and of himself to even respond to spiritual things. Keep that thought in mind. It tells us that we are dead in our sins and trespasses, okay? It doesn't say you are dead because of your sins and trespasses, but you are dead in your trespasses and sins. So, a person does not become a sinner because he commits any sinful acts, okay? A person does not become a sinner because he commits some sinful acts, but rather he commits sinful acts because he's a sinner. So, we are dead in our sins. That is our nature. That is our characteristic all men apart from God uh, are apart from God and you know uh, while we might have different degrees of sin playing out in the life of a person just as you have a corpse you know corpse can have different degrees of decay okay it doesn't matter whether it's a week of decay or, or a few hours of decay uh, it's still dead all right so you might have some people who do a lot of good things Okay, some people who do a lot of bad things, some people who do crimes that get punished by the law, uh, might even get the death penalty, you have murder, okay, you have lying. These are all sins, these are all a result of the sin nature, these are all result of us being dead, but it's all relative, okay, there's different degrees there, but it doesn't matter, before God, you are dead, regardless of whether you've committed the most heinous sin, most heinous crimes or you've committed small sins as, as we think of them. Okay, so this is, uh, God is a perfect God. In Matthew 5, 48, he says, be perfect as your father in heaven is perfect. So this is a standard that a dead man can never attain. Okay, and man striving to meet God through all of his good works will never be successful. All right, and, and then it tells us here that, that you were dead in your sins and trespasses in which you once walked according to the course of the world. So 
What does it mean to be dead? It meant that not only you were, you were lifeless spiritually, but we followed the ways of the course of the world. The word world there is the Greek word is cosmos, the which, which speaks of the world system of values. The way the world does things, the philosophies of the world, the humanism, uh, which places man uh, above God and man above everything, speaks of materialism, places high value in physical things, uh, <coughs> or, you know, high value in things like money. Uh, it speaks of uh, sexual perversions. It speaks of all kinds of fleshly behavior. And it tells us here that in the times past, okay, in which you once walked, you used to walk according to the course of the world. Okay, so prior to salvation, our walk was in accordance with worldly values. Our thinking was according to the philosophies of the world, the ideologies, the standards that the world lays out. Now, very often we find believers today still living according to those principles of the world. And that is why Paul is emphasizing this point. You need to understand that this is the way you used to be and this is not the way you ought to be now that you are in Christ. We'll come back to that point later. And then it tells us that, you've, uh, that, um, that according to the prince of the power of the air. The prince of the power of the air is none other than Satan. Okay, he is the, the world follows the leadership and the design of Satan. So when you were walking according to the world, realize that you had a leader of a person that you were following and that person was Satan. He is a ruler of the world uh, and he will continue to rule the world until the Christ returns and casts him out. Uh, and we used to follow a spirit of disobedience. So you now, uh, the power, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. We had no regard to being obedient to the word of God. Uh, this is a characteristic of those who are spiritually dead and are the children of Satan. So first, first thing we see about our past is that we were dead. Okay, plain and simple. Second thing, verse uh, 3, first part. Um, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh. So we were controlled by the lust of our flesh. We were controlled by our sinful nature. A life that was dominated, driven by a sinful nature, by the flesh. flesh. So a lust is a strong inclination and a desire of every sort to do things that are wrong. A willfulness, a wanting, a seeking, something uh, with, with great diligence. We were going after these things that went against the word of God, that went against God himself. And we were driven to fulfill the desire. We were driven to, to make choices in our life that defied uh, the very desire of God. The desires of the flesh overcame the desires of God. So we were not only dead, but as dead ones, we were controlled in the actions, in our thinking by the sinful nature. Okay, that, was, that is within us. Thirdly, in uh, verse 3, latter part, it says, uh, uh, fulfilling the desires of flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. So those who have not received salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ are by nature, that is by birth, from the very being, uh, our very being, very uh, uh, essence of who we are, we are objects of wrath. We are subject to, the, to God's wrath of eternal judgment. We shouldn't take this lightly. If you are not saved, you are an object of wrath and you remain an object of wrath until the point that you trust in what Christ has done for you. So we have a holy, righteous God who has to punish sin. And those who do not know Christ, they continue being 
objects of his wrath. And in addressing the believers here in Ephesus, Paul is, is saying to them that they, and he tells us there that you were by nature in the past, you know, your very nature made you an object of the wrath of God. Okay, but, um, you know, uh, his wrath, the wrath of God, this wrath that should have been poured out upon you was instead poured out on the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what we remember here this morning as we partook of the emblems. And those who are saved, they are no longer objects of wrath. Jobin reminded us last week that somehow we, uh, you know, how often we just live in the past. We forget that we have been spared. You know, we go back to that thing and we live in fear. But if you have been truly saved, if you have trusted completely in what Christ has done for you, you are now removed from being object of wrath. And we'll see what you have become instead in a, in a few minutes here. But we were objects of wrath. So we are dead. We are controlled by the sinful nature. And we are objects of the wrath of God. That's the believer's past condition. It's very important. These might be simple things and we think we know it. But, but you've got to ask yourself that, you know, uh, do you really understand what we were. Now, some of us were brought up in, uh, you know, godly homes. We had godly parents. You know, they taught us from the very beginning. And it's hard for us to imagine that we really were that bad. Right? You know, some of us came from different backgrounds. It's a little more easier to, to understand because we really didn't seek God. But we did a lot of good things. But doesn't matter where you were born. Doesn't matter who your parents were. Doesn't matter how much you, you know, how many verses you studied in Sunday school. You know, how many competitions you won. You were dead. Okay, you were like the dead corpse and you had no capacity to even respond. All right, and we'll talk about that in a second here. But you were dead. And so we need to understand the depth uh, uh, of where we came from, of our past. And if we don't understand that, you know, it makes us very dif difficult to appreciate what God has done. It's only when we appreciate how much God did for us that we will have that, that, that desire to please him and live for him. And again, we'll see more of that in a minute here. Secondly, we want to look at the change in the believer's life. And there's three things that we see that brought about this change. One, the mercy of God. Two, the love of God. And three, the grace of God. The mercy of God, the love of God, and the grace of God. And some of the best, uh, you know, these are some of the best, most beautiful verses in scripture. I talk about the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. So eloquent, so beautiful. And to be treasured. First condition, first thing we see here is that phrase, but God. But God. What a, what a wonderful preposition there. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us. So we see here, in the situation of deadness, in the situation of hopelessness, in the situation of utter defilement, we see this phrase, but God. So the first point I want to make is this, that salvation is from God and no one else. He is the only source the initiator for salvation came from God alone. And Paul wants to make that very clear. He says, but God. Man can do absolutely nothing to bring about a change because of his dead condition. Man was born in sin and he is born to death. Okay, he does not become, uh, you know, he, he's spiritually dead and there's nothing he can do. You see, God desired to be rejoined with the creatures that he made in his own image. And for his own glory. And so he provided a way for man to return to him. And why? Because of his mercy, his love and grace. 
He took it upon himself to make us alive. And so it is God who made us alive. It is God who had to do this work of salvation. It is God who had to bring life into this dead corpse, which was us. Um, and this is the greatest miracle that God, you know, people ask, does God do miracles today? You know, sometimes we think that we brethren don't believe in miracles. All right. The greatest miracle, there is no greater miracle than God raising up a dead person and bringing him from darkness into light, bringing him from death to life. This is the greatest miracle. It happens daily, day after day. You know, thousands and thousands of people being convicted of their sins, coming to the foot of the cross, trusting in what Christ has done. And it's all because of this but God. Because God wants to reach out. He wants to touch lives. He wants to, because of his love, because of his mercy, because of his grace, he wants to redeem them back and get into relationship with him. But God, who is rich in mercy. So what do we see here about the mercy of God? What is mercy? Mercy is simply this. It's not giving someone something bad that they deserve. What did we deserve? We deserve to remain in that dead state. We deserve to be eternally dead and to never ever have a relationship with God because of our sin. But rather than give us what we deserve, eternal death and judgment, God has saved us. And he tells us God who is rich in mercy. How rich is he? Let's turn to Psalm 103. There's a lot of verses I could refer to, but due to lack of time, I won't go, go to every one of them. But let's just look at a few in Psalm 103. And the psalmist says this so beautifully, it doesn't even require any explanation. Psalm 103 and verse 8. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in love. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in mercy. He will not always strive with us, nor will he keep his anger forever. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor punished us according to our iniquities. There's mercy. Not dealing with us according to our sins and not punishing us according to our iniquities. For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As a father pities his children, so the Lord pities those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. The mercy of God. But God who is rich in mercy. His mercy is rich enough. It is unlimited enough to forgive the vilest sinner. It is rich enough and unlimited enough that it doesn't matter what kind of life you might have lived in the past. It doesn't matter how dead you were or how you lived before coming to him. Nothing in your past is too big or too vile for God's unlimited, for God's rich mercy. His mercy is so rich, it has no limit. God, but God who is rich in mercy, not only is rich in mercy, uh, but because of his great love with which he loved us. God loved us. Even though we were dead, he loved us dead beings. And his love is agape love, sacrificial love. He loved us so much that he gave the life of his own son, his own begotten son to save us. Because of his love for us, his great love. Let's turn to 1 John chapter 4. Look at a couple of verses. 1 John chapter 4 verse 9 and 10. In this the love of God was manifested toward us that God has sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sin. And then in John 15, 13, I want, I want to turn there, same thought, that God loved us so much that he gave his son, Jesus Christ, to die for us. 
the mercy of God and the love of God. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us. And let's come down to verse 8 where he talks about the grace of God. For by grace you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Salvation, we are saved by grace. Salvation is by the grace of God. What is grace? Grace is an unearned act of God. An act of God that we did not earn. He is granting us something good that we do not deserve. Mercy is not allowing us to receive something bad that we do deserve. Grace is granting us something good that we do not deserve. God's grace, Ephesians 1.7, tells us about God's grace. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. We have redemption through his blood and forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. Because his grace is as rich as his mercy, we have forgiveness of sins. Romans 3.24 Romans 3 and 24 being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. How were we justified? We were justified by his rich grace. Romans 5.21 Romans 5.21 So that as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life. We received eternal life through the grace of God. And then Titus 2.11 talks about how he has given us his salvation. He has given us eternal life. He has given us salvation and tells us here, by grace are ye saved through faith. So salvation requires faith. And it requires faith in what Jesus Christ has done for the sinners. It requires faith to accept the finished work of Christ on our behalf. It requires faith. Faith is the response that is required uh, 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 from us as an individual in salvation. Now, let's keep this in mind that even the faith, okay, tells us here very clearly, by grace you've been saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. What is the gift of God? Salvation is a gift of God. You know, faith itself is a gift of God. So, our own power, our own resources cannot provide us the faith. Remember, we are dead. We are dead. You know, we have to be quickened you know, by the Holy Spirit, even to have faith, you know, to believe. You know, if saving faith were of ourselves, uh, then we could take credit. Then salvation would in part be, uh, be brought about by, by partly by our own works. But this faith is supplied by the grace of God. Let's look at a few verses. Second Peter 1 and verse 1. Second Peter 1 and verse 1. To those who have obtained, okay, the word there is received. To those who have received like precious faith with us by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ. He's talking about their salvation. Okay, this faith itself was received from God. So remember that if you are a child of God today, the very fact you would not even have believed, okay, if God hadn't done something and granted to you, gifted you with the faith to believe this comes from God as well okay to you who have received who have obtained like precious faith with us by right by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ okay um, and then we see uh, also in Philippians 1 29 Philippians 1 and verse 29 for to you it has been granted on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him but also 
to suffer for his sake. Okay, for you it has been granted. The word believe there, same as faith. For you, to you it has been granted to believe. Okay, so this is, this belief is something that was granted to you. And again in Acts 3.16, I won't turn that due to time. But God's grace gives us faith as a gift. Okay, God's grace that gives us a faith uh, to believe as a gift from him. The faith in Christ that leads to salvation is itself a gift of God. Everything having to do with the transformation brought about by salvation is a gift of God. Everything, okay? Uh, everything having to do with, with this transformation is a gift of God. It is not of ourselves, And that's why Paul says, uh, back to Ephesians 2 and verse... Um, <clears throat> sorry, I'm in Philippians here. In Ephesians chapter 2 and verse... Um, uh, 9, he says, verse 8, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. So salvation is not of works. This is something we have to fully understand. Everything having to do with salvation, you know, the grace, the faith, the love, the mercy, everything is a gift of God. It is not of any works that we can do. And since nothing having to do with salvation is dependent on our works, you know, no man has any right to boast. We cannot in any way boast. We cannot in any way take credit. We cannot feel proud. We cannot have a holier-than-thou attitude. We cannot uh, think that we are something great because we are saved, because we are followers of Christ. We need to always be humble because what we have is a result of the work of God. It is a gift from Him. We were dead. Okay, you cannot say that I responded to the word of God. No, God made you respond. He gave you the faith to respond to the gospel call that he brought before you. We are dead in our sins and trespasses. And by grace, through faith, we have been made alive. So that is what God has done for us. The mercy of God, the love of God, the grace of God and faith given to us as a gift is what has brought about this change. We have nothing to do with it. Finally, uh, the believer's present condition. What does he tell us about that? Go back to verse 5. Uh, Even when we were dead in trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. So before salvation, we were dead. After salvation, he has made us alive. Salvation gives you spiritual life. The basic, what is the basic need of a dead person? Basic need of a dead person is that he has to be made alive. He has to be resurrected. And that's why uh, in Romans we see that imagery that, that as Christ was, ra- was raised from the dead, we too have been raised into newness of life. That's what baptism, water baptism, going down and coming up signifies. It represents that act of what happened when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, as Christ was made alive. So all those who are no longer separate from God, we can now understand the spiritual truth. You see, now we are no longer dead. We have life in us. We can begin to understand the things that prior we had no interest in, the things that made no sense to us. This is why as you grow as a Christian and the Holy Spirit is indwelling you, indwells every Christian, as we are filled with the Holy Spirit, we are able to understand the things of God because we have gone from death to life. He has made us alive. In Romans 6, it tells us where sin reigned, it no longer has to reign. Uh, Where we obeyed the lust of the flesh, we no longer have to obey it. Uh, Where the parts of our body were given over to unrighteousness, they can now be given over to the righteousness of God. I encourage you to go and read Romans 6, verse 11 to 13. Uh, I don't have time to read it right now. It tells us that just as you gave the, the, the members of your body as instruments to unrighteousness, you know, before when you were dead, you used to give your body 
up to do all kinds of sinful things. Now, you know, as those who have been made alive, because you have been made alive, you need to live as one who is alive uh, before God and give those same members to do godly things, to do righteous acts. Go and read Romans 6, 11 to 13. God has raised us up out of our dead state together with Christ. See Romans, uh, I mean back to Ephesians. He has raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly place in Christ Jesus. See, we were raised. Why does the resurrection of Christ have significance? Because that denotes the fact that Christ paid the penalty for our sins, but he has been raised into newness of life. So also we have been raised together with Christ. We are no longer trapped in our coffin. We are no longer trapped in the tomb. We are no longer bound in our grave clothes. You know, when Lazarus was brought out of the grave, Jesus said, go take off for those grave clothes. He doesn't need them anymore. We are free from death. We are free from that condition of death. But many Christians, many of us often, we act like we are still bound up. We still go back into the past. No, that's the way I used to be. I'm so bad. I'm so terrible. There's nothing good in me. Yeah, you know, the, the, I only do bad stuff. Because we forget that we have been made alive. And we are bound by a fact. Jobin made this point last week. Why do we go back? Why do we dredge up the past? You know, in the psalm we read that he has forgiven us. He has, as far as the east is from the west, he has removed our sins and transgressions. No, we need to focus on living a life that is pleasing to God. Not going back and letting ourselves be bound in those grave clothes, which is our past life. The life that was there when we were dead and, and buried in our sins. And what does he say here? God has seated us together, made us alive together in Christ Jesus and raised us up and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. We are exalted with Christ. We are exalted with Christ. Our citizenship, Romans 3, I'm sorry, Philippians 3.20 tells us that our citizenship is in heaven. You know, you have changed citizenship. You know, I remember the day uh, in 2002 when I changed my citizenship. You know, I went before a magistrate and I took an oath you know, to become a citizen of the United States along with, you know, about a hundred other people. All right, we all raised our, our right hands and we took an oath. You know, we changed. I'm now a citizen of another country. You know, when you go from death to life, you become a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. But that requires me to act as a citizen of that new country. It's not just a, a ceremonial thing. It requires a change in my behavior. You know, it requires you to swear certain things that I will defend and protect and I will honor the constitution of this new country of which I am a citizen. When you become a citizen of heaven, we have certain obligations. We'll talk about that. He has seated us together. You know, and he seated, the, the tense is, is past tense, the aorist tense. It has already happened. He has seated us in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And this, this is the blessing that we have when we go from death to life. So we have gone from death to life. Now previously we were objects of wrath. Go to verse 7. Uh, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. We were objects of wrath when we were dead. But now we are the objects of the kindness of God. What a wonderful transformation. The purpose of our being made alive and being exalted is so that God might show us his 
kindness not his wrath anymore you are no longer under the wrath of god but you are under the kindness you are to receive the kind he displays his exceeding riches of his grace it tells us that he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in christ jesus you know so he uses us as a proof of his goodness of his mercy we serve as proof when others see the change in our life they begin to see the richness of the grace of god if this person can be saved then how great is the grace of god uh, that that is bestowed on all men god bestows his kindness and favor and blessing on us through the lord jesus christ thirdly we before before we were saved we were controlled by the sinful nature but what is it now verse 10 for we are his workmanship we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which god prepared beforehand that we should walk in them controlled by the sinful nature the workmanship of god that is the change that has come where we were once controlled by the sinful nature and 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 we were controlled by the by the lust of our flesh and lived according to the principles of satan and the ways of the world we are now god's workmanship you know what that word is that he uses there for workmanship the greek word is poema poema from that we get the english word poem you know the word poem or or literary masterpiece a poem is a literary masterpiece what's he saying he's saying we are god's literary masterpiece you know god looks at us as his masterpiece because he gave his son to die for your sins and he sacrificed him to create out of you a masterpiece that brings glory to him we are his workmanship every sinner saved by the grace of god is a masterpiece produced by god designed to be conformed as romans 8:29 tells us predestined to be conformed to the image of his son that is who we are in christ jesus we are his masterpiece we are his poem beautiful poetry that god has created is that the way we live today Second Corinthians five seventeen. We are a new creation in Christ Jesus. John fifteen eight. I don't have time to read these verses. Please go write them down and refer to them. Uh, we are to bear fruit as His disciples and bring glory to His name. Second Corinthians nine eight. We are to abound to every good work. Second Timothy three seventeen. We are equipped through God's word for every good work. Titus. 2:14 Christ died to bring to himself a people zealous for good works zealous for good deeds God has what beforehand he prepared beforehand he ordained beforehand that we should walk in these good works God good works are expected from a Christian the power that has saved us is the same power that keeps us saved and is the same power that will allow us to produce good works for the glory of god and if a believer is not producing good works now good works have nothing to do with salvation but if we have been transformed the the end result the scripture is very clear on this the end result ought to be a change in our life it ought to be good works that god beforehand ordained that we should walk in them that we should produce them so if you and i as a believer is not producing good works we're not talking here about the fact that we are going to be sinful you know sinless and we are going to be perfect but there needs to be good works coming out of our life of our changed life if there is no change then we ought to examine ourselves why is that why is that and paul will get into that as we go through the remaining chapters maybe there is there is sin in our life unconfessed sin that is keeping us from producing the good works that god has ordained beforehand but we also need to examine ourselves you know come across people who after many years 
you know they say you know what i now realize that i that i never really believed i just went along with this you know all of you i want to warn everyone who who grew up as i did in godly homes okay you grow up with expectations you grow up with expectations that you will believe and that you will be saved and that you will baptize and you will get married and and do all these good things and go to church and listen to messages and and you know we could be up here preaching and teaching and still be dead in our sins and trespasses ask yourself do you have in inside yourself do you have the motivation to serve god or are you just going through the motions to please someone else ask yourself it's very important that we examine every one of us our true status before god you could be baptized you could be going through all the rituals and still not be saved i have seen people who 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 used to teach sunday school people who who used to give counsel to other people later on in life they reject the faith and they turn away from christ this happens because their faith was never real they did it to please people and they never went from death to life examine our status before god if you are saved but you are not bringing glory to god then you are not fulfilling the purpose of your salvation examine your status and examine the way you are living your life do you understand what you were and what god has done for you and what he has made you into you know positionally all the things we talked about what he has done for us is positional but we have to make it practical in our life we were all at one time dead in our sins walking according to our sinful natures objects of god's wrath but god in his mercy love and grace has saved us through his son the lord jesus christ let me also speak to anyone here who may not have trusted in what christ has done the only thing that can save you is by trusting in what christ has done if you haven't been through that experience then you are dead you are a corpse you have no life in you you do not have eternal life if you have not accepted if you keep rejecting rejecting christ you know then that will keep you in your sinful dead state you will remain an object of god's wrath you will continue to live according to the the ways of satan according to the word uh, ways of the world acceptance of christ's death and his completed work of redemption will make you alive it will make you an object of god's kindness he will make you a new creation he will make you god's workmanship his masterpiece created to do good works and if today the holy spirit as you listen to the word of god is speaking to you and convicting you of your sin then there is that work of quickening going on in your heart and i encourage you to respond to that if you are already one who is saved you need to go back and think about the way you live are you living does your life show forth that you are a masterpiece of god created unto good works what do you see in your life only you know and only i know what are the blemishes in our life god wants us to to be sanctified he wants us to grow in righteousness he wants us to 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 repent of sins in our life so that we can continue to be more and more conformed to the image of his son that is what god desires we are the workmanship of god created unto good works and in order for us to live our lives in a manner that pleases god we have to fully understand and appreciate this we have to appreciate the degree to which 
you know, we were away from God. We have to appreciate the richness of his grace and his love and his mercy that has made us alive. We have to appreciate the, the exalted status we have seated in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. It is only when we appreciate this entire, uh, you know, entire chain of things that what God has done. We are saved through faith, not of ourselves. We have nothing to boast about in and of ourselves. When we humble ourselves before God, that we can then seek to live our lives in a manner that is glorifying to him. May God enable us to do that. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, that though we were dead, we are today alive. And yet, Lord, we know that we are beset by so many things, Lord, that are displeasing to you, Lord. I pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would convict each of us, Lord, so that we may constantly examine ourselves, that we may yield our members as instruments of righteousness, that we may fully understand, Lord, what you have done so that out of appreciation, Lord, we will strive and we will work out our salvation. Yes, Lord, our salvation was obtained without works, but we need to work it out in our day-to-day -day life. I pray, Lord, that out of gratitude for what you have done, that we would not, Father, be drowning in our past. That we who are alive would not be hearkening back to the past. But we would look at who we are in Christ. That we have been redeemed. That we have been justified. That we have been forever reconciled. That we have been made a new creation in Christ Jesus. That we are your masterpiece. And we would fulfill the purpose for which you did all of this for us, Lord. And where we are failing, Lord, that you will reveal it to us, that you will, that we would examine ourselves, that we would be convicted, that we would change. And that each of us, Lord, would individually hear this word and apply it in our own hearts, not looking at others, Lord, but at ourselves. Thank you again, Lord, for your word. We pray that it would minister to our hearts in the hours and days and weeks ahead, Lord, and that it would effect a change in our lives. We thank you again for everything. We commit ourselves to your hands, asking all these things in the name of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.